name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Hmm, thank you, Lord. Thank you, guys. Hmm. So just this word came this morning while we were praying. You know, we pray every Sunday morning at 8.30 down the hallway there, and everybody's welcome to join that. Pat Williams has a, does a great Bible study, First and Second Samuel, every Sunday morning at 8.30 in the room just off to the lobby there. I mean, everybody's invited to that. Pat's an awesome teacher. So, you know, you don't have to feel like you have to wait till 10 to show up. Especially if you're an early bird, come, we'd love to have you. We're, I was here at 5.30 this morning, so, you know, come on in, let's have a grand old time. We put on the coffee, we meet with the Lord, it's a good time, we get it started. But this morning as we were praying, the Lord gave this word, and I just say this, I don't even know where it fits, so I'm just going to kind of throw it out there as an extra, and that's this, that uh, God, that um, parents... Your kids don't need more. They don't need better sermons. They need better example. And I'll just let that sit there. That's all I had, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna add to it. And then the second one, and then the second one is is a story. Um, and I'm wrestling with whether or not to begin it or end with this story. I think I'll start with it. If you know the story of the prodigal son, this is a little twist on that story. So there's a father, and he's a generous father. He's a good father. And he's got two sons, an older son and a younger son. The older son is a good boy. He does, all, does it all right. He obeys his father. He works hard. He's wise. Uh, he's a, a pleasure, a delight to his dad. The younger son has a rebellious streak in him. And one day he literally tells his dad, hey, I don't, I don't want you to die before I get your money. I want your money now. So can you split the estate with me? Split the estate and give me my half now. In essence, he was wishing his dad would die. I mean, that's the kind of rebel this kid was. So the father generously does it. He concedes. And the boy takes off and he completely squanders his money in riotous living and just wastes it, wastes it, gone. Now, in the story that Jesus told, he portrays the older brother as really being bitter towards the younger brother. The older brother stayed home, but he was judging the younger brother. And, and he was harboring resentment towards the younger brother. And maybe even harboring resentment towards the father for giving his kid brother all the money. I mean, we don't know what all was going on in his mind, but we know that the older brother in Jesus' story um, was certainly not happy. That's where I want to twist it, because I believe that Jesus is the perfect brother. And unlike the story that Jesus told 
in reality, you and I are the prodigals. And he's the perfect brother. And unlike the older brother in the story, Jesus didn't stay at home and build up resentment towards us for leaving and rebelling. No, the older perfect brother said, hey, Dad, I'll go get him. And the father conceded, yes, my son, go get him. And Jesus came on a rescue search, a search and rescue mission, looking for you and me. And he came, he dug into the worst, dirtiest places, to the to the seedy places, the dark places, the slimy places that we find ourselves in. He, he, got, he went there and he found us in the pig pen. And he led us home. And can you see Jesus leading you and me back to Father? And then there's Father who sees us at the end of the lane, and he, he sees us, and he comes off running towards us to bring us, to get us. He's so glad to see us. And Jesus says, Father, here's my brother, my sister. I found him. I found him. And as the Father puts his arms around you and me, as he puts the ring on our finger and the, the robe on our shoulders and he embraces us, Jesus, in, in the story that Jesus told, the older brother is just, he doesn't even like that. He resents that. But in this one, the older brother, the perfect brother, Jesus, stands to the side and with a tear in his eye, rejoices at the reunion of his father and his wayward brother and sister. That's Hebrews chapter 2. You can read it. It says that because we had, because the brothers and sisters had flesh and blood, Jesus took on flesh and blood in order that he might destroy the works of the evil one, in order that he might make us right with the Father. And it says, both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's you and me, are of the same family. Therefore, Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. He's proud. Nothing delights him more than to find you and me in the pig pen and bring us home and to see us reunited with Father. That's, that's all of our story. That's our story. And I don't know where you're at this morning. You might be in the pig pen. But I want you to know something. Your big brother has come looking for you. And he wants to bring you back. And he wants to introduce you to your dad again. The one that you rebelled against, he wants to bring you back to dad. He wants to help you restore that relationship with your dad. Because friends, until that relationship is right, nothing is right in our lives. Nothing we try will ever work 
Nothing is ever going to, it's always going to be just spinning off balance until that relationship gets made right. When that one gets made right, then all the others begin to fall into line. But that one's got to be made right. And I'm saying to you this morning that if you're here and you're, that's you, you're like, yeah, my life's kind of a little wobbly. It's not spinning quite right. Friends, I want you this morning to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to know that Jesus loves you and he wants to bring you back and make you right with God and make it right. Now, to the message. That wasn't the sermon this morning. But it kind of ties in a little bit. Because, see, we have this problem. As, a, as a, a human race in rebellion against our father, then we turn around and try to be parents. And obviously we screw that up. Because it's really hard for rebels to, you know, it's all topsy-turvy. And then we have these Ten Commandments that God has given to us, that we've been studying as a church, and we're in the Fifth Commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn to Exodus 20, I'll be right there in a jiffy. But Exodus chapter 20, these Ten Commandments, we've said these Ten Commandments are moral commandments. They're moral laws, just like a physical law. They're, they serve as an invisible backbone in life. And when these are in place, then everything's all in line, right? But when, but when we violate any of these, it all starts to get wonky, right? And so that's why we've been looking at this. And we started with the first three commands. We discovered that those have to do with our relationship with God. Get that, we got to get that one in place. That's the big rock. Put that in place. And so he says, so he says you know, no other gods before me. There's only me. Worship just him alone. No idols. Don't, don't try to, don't, don't worship any lesser god. Let's, let's be sure we use God's name correctly. Let's honor his name. And then, then the fourth command, it has to do, it's really a gift to us. God says, hey, I want you to take a day off every week and rest and worship. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So that's the fourth command. And then with the fifth command, starting with the fifth command to the tenth command, five through ten, all has to do with our relationship with other people. And it's no coincidence, I'm convinced, because God is a God of purpose and planning. He is. No coincidence that the first of these commandments has to do with our primary relationship. Has to do with the first relationship that every one of us as people ever has. The one with our mom and dad. For the first nine months of your life, think about it. First nine months of your life, the only person you knew on this planet was mom. And, of course, you didn't get there without your dad. So your mom and your dad are your first two relationships that you have with anybody on this planet. And so God says, look, let's get that one put in proper order first. And it's almost as though once it's put in that order because it's like once you get that one right, the other five fall into place. Isn't it true? We learn a lot about how to relate to other people 
by the way we relate to our parents. True. I learn about I learn how to submit in relationships. Every healthy relationship needs submission. Every healthy relationship. I learned that where? Mom and dad. Obedience. Where do I learn obedience? Mom and dad. Where do I learn how to respect authority? Mom and dad. Where do I... You following all this? Where do I learn uh, what honor looks like? Mom and dad. Where do I learn proper love? Proper love. Not the stuff that gets peddled around in our movies and stuff world today, but real love, sacrificial love. Where do I learn that? Mom and dad. They're the first two people. And so it's like God says, look, get that one in line, and the other five, not that they're easy, but you know, the other five will follow suit. And so this is a big shout out to parents today. A shout out to moms and dads. We need you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, God comes to the fifth commandment, and he says this, honor your father and honor your mother that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Honor your father and honor your mother that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Honor your father, and your mother. It's the first command. The Bible tells us it's the very first command that's given to us with an actual promise that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We'll break all this down, I promise. But it's the first command with a promise. That's interesting. So that tells you how important this is to God. Not that the first four are not important. Obviously, all ten of these are paramount. But clearly, this one's a big one. God says, this is so big, I'm going to give you a promise. If you obey this command, this is what you're going to get. And God means that. But friends, this is important because... This relationship, this, this basic relationship is under attack these days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, it tells us, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Are you depressed yet? Because he's not even done. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness so they look good, but denying its power. He says, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with such people. Be on your guard. Be wary of such people. What's one of the marks, one of the signs of the last times? People are disobedient to their parents. There's a breakdown in this basic relationship between parents and children. It seems like a commentary on American society and media these days, doesn't it? One of the signs of the times is that 
Children will be disobedient. There's going to be a breakdown. There's going to be a split between parents and kids. I want you to listen to this statement made by a man by the name of James Dwyer, who happens to be a, quote, distinguished law professor at William and Mary. One of the He's representative of some of the key thinking, some of the big thinking that's going on these days in the highest upper echelons of our educational system and political system. Here's what he says. I quoted it for you. He says, the reason the parent-child relationship exists is because the state confers legal parenthood on people through its paternity and maternity laws. Does that tick anybody off? Make anybody want to puke? Because it should. It's completely wrong. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that the government makes you a parent. You're a parent when the state says you're a parent. That's wrong. Dwyer actually believes that the state determines who can be a parent, and he's advocating Right now, this is not like, you know, this is happening at the moment. Right now, he's advocating that you can actually lose your rights as a parent before the child is even brought home from the hospital. And you think it's crazy? You think that guys like Dwyer are on the fringe of society? You think that he's just a voice in the wilderness and nobody listens to him? Not at all. The state of Ohio, just, this just happened state of Ohio just removed a teenage daughter from her home because her parents refused to pay for her to have a gender change operation. I don't know about you, but that ticks me off. How many, where, where does it end? How many parents have arguments with their teenagers about stuff? Since when, it's never the state's place to interfere. I mean, she's a minor. You say, ah, oh, that doesn't. Listen, you understand that it already, it's already a law that your 13-year-old daughter can have an abortion without you even knowing about it. However, she needs your permission to get her ears pierced at the piercing pagoda at the mall. And that's liberal logic. Somehow you need permission to get your ears pierced, but she can get an abortion without you ever even knowing about it. Moms and dads, I say this to say it's time to wake up, okay? There is a flat-out attack coming against your home, seeking to undermine the relationship that you have with your children. The parent and child relationship is one of the most basic relationships. It's the primary relationship that we all have. And the enemy of your home is seeking to absolutely undo it and destroy it. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, it tells us that every authority has been instituted by God, that authorities are given their permission to operate from God, that He actually creates them. And Scripture identifies four spheres of authority. There's the individual, there's the family, there's the church, and there's the state. There's the government. Four spheres. God's created all four. 
There's, so, you, so it's not, you can't say, oh, government's bad. Government's not bad. Government is created by God. Now, government's bad when it starts to take the place of God. That's not good. But government itself was created by God. Authorities are created by God. Let me just break this down real quick. I'm saying this for a real specific reason. And really, the person who's super smart on this is my wife. If you really want to, I got this from Karis. So she teaches a class about this, and you really, want, you really want the skinny on it. I would have you call my wife because she can help you understand it better than I can. She's the brains of the operation. She really is. So, but the four, four these four spheres, the, think about it, and they go in this order in creation. God created the individual, did he not? He made Adam. And for who knows how long, it was God and Adam. God and one guy. And their relationship was perfect. The individual has a specific responsibility. The individual is responsible to be moral and ethical, to live in right relationship with God, to love our neighbor. And then God created Eve. He made family. He put the man and the woman together. They have children. They procreate. Family. And family is given a specific purpose. The purpose of family is to educate, to raise children, to nurture, right, the next generation, to prepare the next generation for leadership in society. The family is the nucleus, really, of society, isn't it? And God created the family. The family has God's blessing on it. He really, it really does. In the family, the next sphere of responsibility or authority that God created is the church. In, in Genesis chapter uh, 4, verse 26, after, you know, Cain killed Abel, big mess, some trouble in the family. When sin entered the picture, the family got disrupted, of course. But then Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, it says that at that time, men began to call upon God. And obviously, that's, that's church in a very rudimentary form. Certainly a lot more rudimentary than we are here today. But in essence, the purpose of church is to glorify God, to live in community, a community that glorifies God. We represent the kingdom of God on this planet, the ways of God on this planet. And I would add to that, Biblically, the church is responsible to care for the poor. It's pretty clear in the Bible. And then the fourth sphere of authority that God created is government. And human government's not a bad thing at all. You see it as, as, as mankind began to grow and expand. We began to form cities. It's very early on in the book of Genesis. We started to come together. True. And when we, anytime you got a group of people together, you need government. <laughs> and so people came together. And the purpose of government is laws, justice, to exercise justice, to, to create borders, to defend borders, 
The purpose of borders is to keep those safe within their borders. That's, a, that's the God-given right of government. It's the purpose of government. You understand, you and I are not permitted to exercise justice on an individual level. If, if I exercise justice as an individual, that's called vigilanteism. It's not allowed. It's against the law. It's, it's, you can throw me in jail. No matter how just I might come across being, it's, it's wrong. Government is given the authority to execute justice. Now, what happens when any one of these spheres begins to break down? The other spheres begin to take over. And you kind of have a creep, if you will, a creeping in. They begin to cross lines. When the government begins to take over the family, not good. When individuals try to do what the government's supposed to do, executing justice, not good. When the church, and this happened many years ago, the church at some point, and I really don't know when, I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but at some point the church sort of let go of caring for the poor and allowed the government to just begin to do that. It's not the government's place to do that. That's our job, church. We're supposed to wake up to that, my friends. The point is this. When any one of those four spheres begins to gobble up and eat the other sphere, society starts to break down and crumble. And the enemy of our families, the enemy of your soul, is doing his best work in these days to try to attack that relationship, that basic relationship between parent and children. Because if he can destroy the home, he can destroy mankind I'm speaking in general terms just simply to make the point that our families are under assault and that your role as a parent is slowly being taken away, even by our own government. And parents, it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to not be asleep at the wheel. It's time for us parents to be involved in children's education. We've got to be hands-on. We've got to be vigilant. We need to understand there's a snake in our garden, and if we're not careful, it's poisoning our kids. We've got to be vigilant about this, friends. Now, there's two sides to this coin. On the one hand, fathers are told not to exasperate our children. Obviously, parents are not to be abusive. Of course not. On the other hand, children are told to honor their parents and to obey them. So parents are not to be heavy-handed in our dealings with them, and children are to be obedient, those two. As a parent, it's my job to make it easy for my kids to obey. That's kind of what that means when it says fathers don't exasperate your children. It's the simplified version. Don't make your children's job harder than it already is. You understand what it's like to be a rebel. You're one yourself. See, I understand how hard it is for my children to obey. Because it's hard for me to obey. I get that. That gives me mercy. It gives me compassion. And it keeps me from being heavy-handed with my children. But that neither am I to be hands off. And children, 
we obey. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. This is a very interesting verse that doesn't get a lot of playtime in family seminars, but it's good. I don't know why it doesn't. Matthew chapter 2, or Malachi rather, chapter 2, verse 15. It's directed specifically at husbands and wives. And it says this, Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So he's speaking to husbands and wives, to fathers and mothers, and, and he says this, what, what am I looking for? What's God looking for? He goes, I've made you one. Why did God make husband and wife one? He tells you. What's he looking for? Godly offspring. God is seeking godly offspring. In other words, it's the job of the parent to build a home and create an environment in my home where my children are free to learn about God and learn about his world and experience God and grow up knowing him and knowing how they fit into God's world. That's, that's the purpose of a Christian home. So obviously, a parent who's abusive or disengaged is failing in their job. But children also have a responsibility. In fact, the Bible has pretty strong words about children who mistreat their parents. Look at Proverbs. Look at this next slide, Proverbs 15.5. It says, a fool despises his father's instruction. You go, yeah, but he's a jerk. Guess what? The Bible nowhere says that your father has to say it in the right way. Sometimes the package isn't very pleasant, but what's inside, it is. And even parents, it's a great lesson to teach our kids. Hey, sometimes some of the best lessons in life don't come wrapped up in the neatest packages. And it starts right here with your old man, because I'm going to say things and do things that are not going to look very nice, but I do love you, and I do want what's best for you. Isn't that, can I, dads, can I get an amen? Or no, am I the only one that's been a jerk in my home? Okay, I'm pretty sure I haven't been. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20, he says this, Whoever curses his father and mother, his lamp shall be put out. Proverbs 30, verse 17 is very graphic. The eye that mocks a father that scorns an aged mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. So how does God feel about a disobedient child? Le Leviticus 19, verse 32, he puts it this way, and I threw this in. It's not directly parent and child, but it's just such a good verse. Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God, I am the Lord. Hey, that's a good verse, man. That's a good verse to teach our kids, moms and dads. You teach your kids, moms, kids, moms and dads, you teach your kids to respect their elders. Oh, that's huge, huge. So anyway, so we must remember that the family is made up of parents and children, <laughs> both. And listen, my children are commanded to obey me, but I'm also commanded to not make their job difficult. And neither side is excused by the other side's bad behavior. I've witnessed some parents speak very poorly about their children. And it's no wonder their kids don't respect them. 
But listen, a bad parent is not an excuse for a kid to rebel, and a bad kid is not an excuse for a parent to give up. So let's just look at this command again, Exodus 20, verse 12. He says, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that I'm giving to you. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, we're reminded that this is actually the first commandment that's given to us with a promise. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So children are told to obey and then to honor in that order. The order is significant. In the beginning of our relationship with our parents, obedience is the way that we honor them. Your mom tells you to clean up your room, you clean up your room. Your mom tells you to pick up the dog poop in the backyard, you pick up the dog poop in the backyard. You obey. Your, your dad tells you to turn off the TV and do your homework, you turn off the TV and you do your homework. The way that you honor your mother and your father is by obeying them when you are a child. But after a while, our relationship with mom and dad changes. And the obedience is less, it's less about obedience, becomes more and more and more about honoring your parents. You know, my children, are, our children are now young adults, 25, 23, and 22. My wife and I don't expect our children to obey us anymore. And I really don't know when that stopped. It's been a slow progression over time, but now that they're young adults, you know, I don't expect them. I don't, first of all, I don't tell them to clean their room. And, I, and if I did, I wouldn't expect them to necessarily do it, right? Because it's really unfair of me to be making those kinds of demands at this point. They're, they're adults. They're paying their own bills, you know. Um, however, I love it when they honor me. I love it. Oh, man, I love it when my... When our son calls, just, just because. I love that. And I, I love it when they call and ask for advice about something. It's just such a delight. And the, all the different ways that my kids demonstrate that their mom and dad are still important in their lives. Like, that's so valuable. That's how they honor us, you know? I planned this week to go and take a couple of days and go to Delaware to see my parents because I know that they love, and it's so funny, they can't, they're excited. My mom called me the other day, when are you coming? Can't wait. It's like, it blesses them, you know? It's how you honor them. And I don't have to obey my mommy anymore, but I do have to honor her. But what's interesting to me is I still obey her. If I'm there this week, when I'm there this week, if my mom says, hey, could you clean up the dishes in the, in the, in the sink? And she's been known to ask that before, my mother has. She asked me to do the dishes in the sink. You know what I'm going to do? Right. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to throw a hissy fit 
and huff and puff around the house and <laughs> drove all the way to Delaware. That's not what I'm going to do. I'll say, sure, I'm happy to do the dishes for my mom. But think about it. It's the exact same behavior as when I was 10. <laughs> but when I was 10, it was about obedience. Now that I'm 52, it's about honoring her. It's really funny to me. Same behavior, same dishes. Very, very different purpose. Fascinating. And over time, that changes. My point is this. Kids, when you're little, you honor your mom and dad by obeying them. There's only one time when you're not allowed to obey, when you don't have to obey your parents, and that would be this. Same applies across the board with all authorities, is when your authority asks you to sin. When your authority comes between you and God, that's the only time that you're permitted to challenge that authority. And even then, you do it carefully and you tread lightly. You don't be a jerk about it. Even then, we do it carefully. But kids, let's be honest. Your mom telling you to clean the dog poop in the backyard, that's not a sin. You need to do that. Your mom asking you to do the dishes, doing the dishes ain't a sin. You can't be finding a Bible verse saying, you're right, you got to do it. Your dad tells you to do the homework, that ain't a sin. You do your homework. Follow. Your, your, your parents are 99.999% of the time. These are, we got some great parents in this church. I'm telling you, your parents are probably not asking you to do something sinful. You need to obey them. But what if I don't like it? Well, that's another really important lesson to learn. <laughs> and by the way, moms and dads, this starts when they're little. One of the main mistakes that parents make, main mistakes, is we don't expect a two-year-old to obey. And then when they turn 15, we wonder why they don't obey. Listen, man, you better win that battle when they're two. Because when they're 15, it gets dangerous and the stakes get higher. Mom, dad, you are the parent, not them. You're in charge. Don't let the inmates run the asylum. Come on now. You're in charge. But that, it gets established right away. Don't wait until they're 10 to try to start introducing discipline into your home. Introduce discipline when they're babies. Establish you're in charge right away. And then as they're older, you'll be amazed. It changes things. So that's completely off. So now when do, we, so when do we obey? Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. I need to get busy here, sorry. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. It says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So when do we obey? As children. The word children there in Colossians, it actually means young children. It's the Greek word. It's a Greek word meaning kids, little ones. So children obey. And then when do we honor? Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus said, For honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. I like that because Jesus contrasts honoring and cursing. It helps me to know better what it means to honor my parents. 
it, for, for starters, it means I don't curse them. So I want to look for ways to bless my mom and dad. I want to look for ways to, to celebrate my mom and dad. And my, your mom and dad, can I just speak to this? Gee, I'm way off. I'll just speak to this. You know, your parents, some of us here might have had some really lousy parents. And that stinks. And can I just be honest? You didn't deserve that. God's desire, God's plan, honestly, God's plan was for two healthy parents, mom and a dad, to have a healthy relationship with their children, to love them, support them, nurture them, discipline them, train them. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, obviously, we are broken, aren't we? And some of us got a bomb deal, man. You got parents that just failed in their job. And can I tell you this? I'm sorry. However, nowhere in the Bible does it say that that excuses you from needing to honor them. You need to find ways to honor them, even if they're still dead. Even uh, still dead. Even if they yeah, still dead, that'd be a shocker. <laughs> even if they're dead. Or maybe your relationship with them is estranged and you haven't talked to them in years. How do you honor them? How can you honor them? How can you recognize that they're, their importance in your life? And maybe the only thing that you can say about them, the only good thing you can say about them is they brought you into this world. I'm the best thing my parents ever did. You might, that might be the only thing you can say about your parents. Okay, stick with that. Honor your mom and dad for bringing you into this world. And thank the Lord for that. I'm not suggesting that you lie. It's very important. You don't have to lie. You don't have to say your dad was the best thing ever. He was a drunk and he abused you. Okay, well, that's, that's the truth. You don't have to say that he was father knows best, you know, because he wasn't. But you can say... That's the man that brought me into this world. God used him to bring me into this world, and I'm thankful. That makes sense? So honoring looks like a lot of different things, but that's honoring. And I never am done with the responsibility to honor my parents. As, as long as I'm alive on this planet, I honor my mom and dad. And even after my mom and dad have passed away, I still continue to honor them. Honor, right? Obviously, I, they're not telling me to wash the dishes anymore if they're dead. But I can still honor them and their role in my life. And you know what? When we honor our parents, that provides a great example to our own children of what it looks like to honor us. And now the order that God has created us to work in is beginning to fall into place, isn't it? He says, honor your father and your mother. Now, there's a promise with this, and I'm just going to close with this. So sorry, I'm going on and on today. There's a promise, though, and I'm going to end with this. I promise I'm going to end with this. Ah, maybe not. I might break that promise. I pr there's so much material here. I promise, though. Sort of. The promise is this. God says, if you honor your father and your mother, 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. One of the mistakes that we make when we're reading the Bible, and we can't help ourselves sometimes, is we read it, we read it with our Western culture. And us Westerners are very individualistic. We are. You can't help it. I, it's the way we are. It's the way we've been raised. And so we read this promise, and, and we think of it as an individual. We think, oh, God's promising that if I honor my mom and dad, I'll live to be 150. Hey. And that's not that promise. This promise is given to a people, to the Israelites, that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you, as a people, as a culture. Now catch this, ready? Three of the longest surviving cultures in our world. Jews, thousands of years old. Chinese, thousands of years old. Indian, thousands of years old, right? All three of those cultures, you notice what they have in common? They honor their elders. So God is true to his promise. God doesn't lie. He promised you honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you in the land that I'm giving. It's going to be a long time in that land. Friends, as Americans, it's partly a call to our nation as a culture. Jeepers, we're only like 230 years old, and we're already beginning to crumble. I happen to believe it goes right back to this fifth command. We violated this command as a nation. We violated it as a culture. We've got to get this straight. Church of Jesus, we are the only ones that hold this out. We're the ones that, that live this as an example in our culture. We're the ones that kind of have to fight for this, friends because our, our culture's quickly moving away from it. And we ought to be the ones that say, oh, no, 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 back, back, back. Parents and children, let's get, this in, let's get this one right. Children, honor your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your kids. We gotta get this right. We've gotta be good examples of this in our homes, and we've gotta champion this in our culture. I don't believe that our culture is too far gone, so please don't, don't hear me say that. I'm not a doomsday prophet. I'm just trying to make observations for you to see God's word is true. He, he doesn't lie. This, this is real stuff. And I happen to believe that when God says it, when God promises it, he means it. It's true. And so it comes down to me as an individual. I do have an individual responsibility. My responsibility is to be the man that God's called me to be and to, as such, be the husband that God's called me to be and, as such, be the father that God has called me to be. I'm responsible to that. And uh, so are you. And so let's pray. And let's come before the Lord this morning. I'm just going to, would you stand with me? 
and uh, we're going to sing this song in closing. But the altar is open. I just want to invite you to to join me here and kind of and with me to say, God, we want this. We want to fall into the proper order here, God. We recognize, God, that you have created an order. That you've you've made an order in creation, and it's a good order. It's a good plan. It's your plan. And and Lord, our desire is to submit to your plan. That Lord. Uh, And Lord, as far as it depends upon me, God, I want to honor you in this plan. I pray that, God. Lord, I also want to pray this morning for my friends here who are hurting. Some of us are really, God, this is such a sensitive subject because because it is so broken and so so close to our hearts, God. Oh, Lord, would you please bring healing to those wounds in these loved ones this morning? I want to rebuke shame. You have no place in the hearts of these people today. Holy Spirit, I just invite you. You do your work. You're you're the teacher. You're the convictor. You're the one that changes. And you do it so beautifully. You you bring us to change by kindness, not not by guilt and shame. Thank you, Spirit. So may you do your work among us today. So we're going to sing, and the altar's open, friend. I invite you to join me here this morning. And let's uh, commit our, our homes to the Lord. You say, I don't have kids. That's okay. You still have a home. You know? So can we commit our homes to the Lord this morning? That's the challenge. You say, well, I'm not married. That's okay. You still have a home. We all have a home. And uh, so I invite you to come with me this morning and to this altar and commit our homes to the Lord that they honor him in every way. Yes, God. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found, is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ.
Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I Temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Father, give us wisdom. You promised us in the Bible that if we lack wisdom, we can ask you for it, and you would give it to us. Lord, we need wisdom. Oh, God, the task of building a home that honors you is, uh, oh, it is huge, and we need your wisdom, God. We can't do it without you. Oh, God, I pray your protection over our homes. Guard them, God. Guard them, Lord, we pray. And Lord, I pray that our homes would, would be uh, places of peace and they'd be lighthouses in our neighborhoods. God, that neighbors and friends would know that there's something special about our home and that that something special is you. That God, you're the peace. You're the one that rules this home. Lord, I say with Joshua all those years ago, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's our, that is our commitment. So thank you, Lord. Bless my friends today as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>